0: Good morning, everyone. My name's Elliot. Uh, If you don't know who I am, I'm on staff team here at Christchurch. I work in the office. I'm engaged to Rachel. And as I discovered yesterday, I have just been approved for training in the Church of England. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, and it would not have been possible without all your prayers. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So let's turn to Romans 6. Uh, I want to start by asking you a question, which is, has anyone in here ever heard that phrase, I'll be your slave for a day? Have you ever heard it? Maybe some of your children have said it to you, maybe you've heard it in a movie... Well, When I was a child, I used to hear my mate say it to his parents if he really, really, really wanted something. And it usually went like this. Oh, please, Dad, please, I'll wash the car, I'll push the hoover around, I'll take the dog for a walk, I'll make the tea, I'll do anything you ask. I will be your slave for a day. Just please, please, please do this one thing for me. And if your kids have ever said this to you, you probably are going to respond like my dad responded the one time I tried it with him, which is, Elliot, you should have been pushing the hoover around long before you wanted something. (laughs) In other words, Elliot, I think you'll find you're already our slave. (laughs) So the first thing that Paul wants us to understand in this passage is that we are all slaves to something. There is no middle way. Jesus said exactly the same thing in Matthew 7, which Simon preached on a few weeks ago. There's this wide gate, and there's the narrow gate, and that's it. So we are all slaves to something. We are born into a fallen world. We're seduced by temptation. We choose it freely, and we accept bondage to sin until death puts an end to the rebellion. And it's only by faith in God's grace, by accepting the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as the payment for our debt, that we are permitted to instead become slaves of God. Paul tells the Corinthian church twice in one letter to them, you were bought at a price. Slaves are either worked to death Or they are sold on to the highest bidder. And there is no higher bid for you than the blood of Jesus Christ. Slight segue if you've never seen the film Chicken Run, you should know that it is a cinematic masterpiece. It's basically a bunch of animated chickens in Yorkshire doing the Great Escape. What's not to love? They set themselves free from their bondage to this farm by sneaking around at night, by building a hen-powered aeroplane and doing this enormous escape plan. It's a great film. But it's not a good model of atonement for your sin. Because unlike Chicken Run, we cannot set ourselves free. Have you ever tried? The law of God rightly stands over us and says, ooh, you're a sinner. You've got that wrong. Awkward. You see, when Moses led Israel out of Egypt, God made a covenant agreement with them. It was to demonstrate that his love endures forever. And Israel only needed to show that they loved God in exactly the same way, and they could enjoy the fullness of his blessing forever. But just like us, Israel failed to be faithful to God and they chose to go the way that the world is still going in, which is unfaithfulness to its creator. So they shared in the judgment of the world, which as Romans 1 says, is being revealed through the death of every man and woman who has ever rebelled. As Voddie Borkum put it, the problem was that it took longer to get Egypt out of Israel than it did to get Israel out of Egypt. It took longer to get the rebellious spirit of Egypt out of the chosen people of Israel than it did to lift that nation out of the land of Egypt. But if indeed you have been bought at a price, then it is for a new purpose. As my pastor in Southampton once preached, you have not been put on this earth to eat McDonald's. If you put your faith in Jesus, He has redeemed you in the most literal sense of the word. In Koine Greek, what Paul writes in, it's the word exorazizo, which sounds Italian, but trust me, it's Greek. It means to deliver something, to buy something back, literally to redeem them, especially when we're talking about purchasing slaves. John Stott writes that conversion is self-surrender. And when you surrender yourself, that inevitably leads to a kind of slavery. And slavery demands a total, a radical, and an exclusive obedience. Conversion is the transfer from one master of sin to the new master of God. And neither form of slavery is a docile job title. Life is a dynamic experience, praise God. And service of sin, unfortunately, dynamically deteriorates us. Whereas service of God will steadily purify us. That's why Paul uses the word hagiasmos. It's a process. It's lifelong sanctification for our being changed into the likeness of Jesus, whom we serve. We can be better slaves of righteousness today than we were yesterday. The second reason I think that Paul talks about us being slaves is because we are totally dependent upon our master. John Zeisler writes in his analysis of the Roman epistle that we tend to think of slaves as being the victims of war, carried off against their will, and that certainly happened. These people would be bought and sold in a market that they wanted nothing to do with. That's true. We don't often think about the idea that there were some willing slaves. You see, there was such a thing as voluntary slavery in the Roman Empire because people in dire poverty could offer themselves in service as a way to be fed, housed, looked after, This concept exists in Exodus as well. We have the slave who would choose to have their ear pierced with gold to mark a voluntary, loving, lifelong bond that remained in place for the rest of their lives. And Paul's desire is for the church to offer themselves as willing slaves to God because we can do no good thing apart from our service to Christ Jesus. Indeed, Paul understood the struggle of this new nature versus the old ways, as he would admit, famously, in Romans 7. He would go, look, guys, I know what I want to do. I love the good things that have been laid out for me, but every time I look, I seem to not be doing it. And I know the things that I hate and I don't want to do anymore, but every time I stop and think, I seem to be doing them. What's going on? It's such a pain. But he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The freedom to sin is fundamentally incompatible with our Christian reality. Because of what has been done for us at the cross, filling us with the Holy Spirit, we are now united with Jesus. We are one with him. And what is being done today as the Spirit keeps on calling us to offer ourselves as obedient slaves to righteousness. And when we offer ourselves as slaves to God, we are saying with a sober mind, I have been changed. I am committed to obedience for the rest of the day. And someday I will shun the prospect of sin completely, yet not I, but through Christ in me. We have been decisively rescued out of the lordship of sin and into the lordship of God out of the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light Amen and verse 13 is a great warning from Paul he says don't compartmentalise your life that's trying to allow a small area of darkness to remain over here because I quite like it and you know it's quite good just as long as no one finds out about it but over here oh praise God yeah Everyone can see this. This is great. No, no, no. Paul gives us a stern warning. You are not to give sin squatters' rights to remain in any corner of your life because you are wholly a slave to God now. There is no room for umming and erring. Jesus himself gave us that stern warning if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, it's better that you cut it off and throw it away. Because it's better to enter eternal life maimed forever than to have two hands and feet and to be thrown into hell. Similarly, he told us, no one can serve two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, this doesn't mean that my battle and I'm sure your battle to quit sin completely is a sign that I've failed and I'm not saved. It's not that at all. Because in baptism, I was totally reborn. And my heart now desires to do those good things that the Lord has appointed for his servants to do. I want to see his kingdom come. And if I don't always feel like that, and feelings are important, then I can pray what Bishop Sandy Miller said, which is, Lord, I want to follow you. And on the days that I don't want to, I want to want to follow you. And on the days that I don't want to, I want to want to want to follow you. And we can feel no shame when we pray this, sisters and brothers. Remember 1 John 1, which is, if we claim to be without sin... We're only deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us for our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If that's the case, how much more willing is God to purify us from the lingering temptations that we are desperate not to surrender to anymore in our service to the Lord Jesus. And I would just add that if you feel like, it's very easy for you to say, Elliot, it's very hard for me, and you need somebody to pray with, we would love to pray with you before you go this morning. Speaking from experience, prayerful accountability is the most effective method for overcoming sin. And we can share the burdens of this journey together and see God's kingdom come at Christchurch and in our hearts so if paul didn't make it clear i'll reiterate it for you we are totally dependent upon the power and the love and the willingness and the work of the holy spirit we have got to remain faithful bond servants to the lord jesus and he is willing to help us in that endeavor The third thing, I think, is that it's important for us to learn, to remember, and to reinforce the knowledge that we are slaves under grace, no longer slaves under condemnation. John Stott writes, it is the necessity of remembering who we are on account of our conversion to Jesus and our baptism vow that we are one with Christ, co-heirs of glory and co-workers of God. He describes it as the total belongingness, the total obligation, total commitment, and total accountability, which characterize the life lived under grace, not under law. So, willfully persisting in sin and presuming that grace will just cover it at the end of the day is an unthinkable and intolerable way to live to the servant of the Lord who subscribes to their master out of love and wonder for what he did at the cross. In practice, we have to be constantly reminding ourselves of who we are and who God is. As J.B. Phillips wrote, your God is too small. It reminds me of Edward VIII who said that his father, George V, would admonish Edward's poor behaviour when he was a boy with one sentence. My dear boy... You must always remember who you are. Surely our Heavenly Father is saying the very same thing to us every morning. So my advice, it's old but it's good. Pray, worship God, read your Bible, meet in your small groups and do whatever it is that you must do so that your understanding of the vast wonder of God's grace is never dulled in your mind. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He's promised that. But the gentleness of Christ Jesus is given for our rejoicing in, not for our apathy. Paul was blown away that he, the worst of sinners, would come to fathom how wide. How long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ? And he prayed that we, the church, would be filled to the brim with all the knowledge of the fullness of God. To conclude, sin pays wages, says Paul, and therefore its slaves get what they deserve. But God offers his servants a free gift which those servants do not deserve, but he just wants to give anyway. And the only condition for receiving it is that we would be found in Christ Jesus, our Lord, personally united and bound to him by our faith and service. Amen.